1: Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hi, this is Justin
3: at Root of Good. You're listening to the What's Up Next Podcast. I'm the physician philosopher, and you're listening to the What's Up Next Podcast.
0: My name is Whitney Hansen. You're listening to the What's Up Next Podcast. Hi, it's Jamila Souffrant, host of the Journey to
4: Launch Podcast, and you're listening to the What's Up Next Podcast.
1: Welcome to What's Up Next,
4: where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial
0: independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence.
1: Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversified.com. So Paul Thompson, what's up next? Is being a money enthusiast enough to be paid to help others
5: along their journey to financial independence? That is the question of the day and we have four special guests to help us answer that question. They are all influencers and have some sort of coaching or consulting business that they use along their journey to financial independence.
3: Okay so my name is the physician philosopher i run a website uh, geared towards teaching wealth and wellness toward in the medical community specifically towards high income medical professionals and the idea there being to use the tools of financial independence to prevent and treat burnout so that's what my website's about and what my message is geared towards
0: Hey there. I'm so excited to be here. So Whitney Hansen's my name and I'm a money coach. So how I came about that was from my own personal experience. I had $30,000 of student debt, paid it off in 10 months and started helping people with their own financial plan too. So this question is something I'm really excited to talk about.
2: Hey, I'm Justin from Root of Good. I sort of accidentally fell into the whole uh, money coaching, financial independence coaching business. Just people kept asking me, Hey, do you do consulting? Do you do consulting? And finally I said, Yes, I do consulting. I have a blog, rootofgood.com, and I talk about financial independence, early retirement, and travel there. Been doing it for five years now.
4: Hi, I'm Jamila Soufrant, Journey to Launch podcast and the website and this actual topic is really kind of interesting and I'm glad we're talking about it because I too when I first started my journey was just sharing what I was doing online reaching financial independence and so many people started reaching out to me asking what I was doing how I how if I could help them do it and so that's kind of how I tumbled my way into the coaching arena so I'm really happy to actually talk more about this
1: So, I'd like to start the discussion today by reaching to the physician philosopher, TPP. I was reading Rockstar Finance one day, and it seemed like you got into it with another blogger about being a financial advisor. Can you tell me a little bit about what happened?
3: Sure. So. It was on a blog share opportunity, so I put a post up uh, discussing that I was considering becoming a financial advisor. I was going to take the Series 65 and attempt to become an investment advisor representative for an RIA uh, or registered investment advisory firm. I put the post up to hope other people would share it, and what happened was that there were a couple financial advisors that uh, also happened to be personal finance bloggers, and they found it and let me know what they thought, and they weren't big fans. And so it uh, devolved into a conversation of back and forth where we uh, discussed the merits of people uh, talking about finances, being paid for it without having an adequate knowledge. That was kind of their perspective and uh, having a, you know, a regulated industry uh, like FINRA overlook you when you are a registered agent. And so they had concerns about that and me uh, pursuing that as a uh, finance blogger.
1: So it's interesting because it sounds like there are really two issues there. One is the know-how, and the other part is more compliance and legality. And this really makes me think, Justin, of some of the wording you used on your website. I noticed that you called yourself an early retirement lifestyle consulting coach. Tell me about how you came up with that wording, and, and were you worried about some of the legality there about what you put up on your site?
2: Yeah, so I actually have a, a background as being an attorney, uh, never for, for pay, but I, I did actually um, join the North Carolina Bar uh, as an attorney after finishing law school. And so in the, the back of my mind, of course, there's the legal obligations to, uh, if you're going to provide financial advice, to be properly registered, all the compliance rules. And so I was really trying to avoid that aspect of it in the business because I, I'm just simply not going to do that registration process and compliance and all that. Uh, so the the way I, I avoid that is I just do not provide investment advice. I'm not, I'm not providing people with individualized uh, investment plans. I'm not managing anyone's money. I don't have access to their accounts through a custodian relationship or anything. Um, so part of the idea is it, I'm, I'm helping people tie everything together more. So uh, uh, some people, you know, they, they kind of say, well, can you, can you, can you advise me? And I, and I really, you know, the first email you get from me is saying, look, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not going to tell you how to run your investments. I'm not going to recommend specific investments. Um, it's really more of looking at a lot of those early retirement concepts for financial independence. Um, Affordable Care Act, how does that work? How do, what are the tax implications? We are taking different, making different moves in your, in your investments or in your other finances. So I'm really focusing more on the holistic approach to early retirement. And, and a lot of it is the soft, the soft skills, the, the lifestyle component of it. Uh, hey, I'm thinking about moving somewhere else, I'm thinking about quitting work, but I'm really worried about losing access to my social network. How do I, how do I address those feelings? What do I do? So it's not you know it's not really strictly the money side of it it's also a lot of others
1: you know I was wondering as I'm listening to you talk because there aren't those letters you know after your name you know we love to put letters after our name that tell people uh, that we're qualified was there ever this sense of imposter syndrome hey I'm just a guy writing on the internet and all of a sudden people want me to give them advice on how to live their lives
2: uh, I mean a little bit, and I, I kind of own it in terms of you know if someone asks me well hey which way is the market headed which way is it going what should I do now, and I just say which I think is true you know look I don't know and and if another investment advisor does tell you they know they're either lying to you or they just don't know enough to know that they don't know so be careful uh, because it, there's only so much you can know out there and so I, I you know maybe it's that honesty that people like
1: I don't know. I want to bring this over to Whitney. Whitney, sometimes language means something. So I'm interested in the words people use when they describe this phenomenon. Do you think of yourself as a financial advisor, a financial coach, an early retirement person? What what words do you use that make the most sense for what you do?
0: Great question. I keep it super simple. I call myself either a money coach or a financial coach. And that even alone, just the difference between money coach and financial coach is pretty drastic. So I, I find that money coach makes it a little bit more approachable. You know, immediately, oh, I'm getting help with my money. Whereas a financial coach, I've had people say, is that a financial advisor? Is that a financial planner? What's the difference there? And so even that small terminology I've found creates a lot of, a lot of differences
1: there. Now, you have some some letters after your name, right? If I remember correctly, you got an MBA, you did some work in accounting. Mm -hmm. Did you find that those degrees made you better at this? Or was it really experiential?
0: oh, this is going to sound so bad because my education was incredibly valuable. But yes, I have my bachelor's in accounting and my master's in business. And I did work in public accounting for two years. I'm not a CPA. I did not go down that route. But what I found is that it honestly did not help me when it came to helping people with the day-to-day of their financial lives. So I thought that was so interesting. You'd think there'd be some kind of a translation or correlation there, but I didn't find that to be the case. It was much more bigger picture when you're talking about corporate finance is very different than personal finance. So I did not find it to help me that much.
1: So what I'm, what I'm hearing is that experience matters. And Jamila, I was listening to your podcast the other day. And in your intro, I, I believe you used the words, this is a podcaster who walks the talk. And I really like that. And one of the things that makes me think about is... A lot of this kind of money coaching or financial coaching really centers around debt. And so a number of you guys have origin stories that deal with debt. Do you think you can come to this field and do what you do if you don't have that experience? If your origin story doesn't include a debt story?
4: You know, it's interesting. So yeah, that's one of the things that I'm kind of actually really proud of is the fact that I... I am going through this experience with my listeners, with my clients. So I don't necessarily claim to know everything and be like the know-it-all of every situation in which they even come to me for. And I'm, re- I'm really upfront about it. So I'm upfront about like saying what I don't know. But what I do find um, to be really helpful is that when you do have a story, when you do have something that connects with your potential audience member or someone who's going to want to pay you to coach is that they kind of want to see that you've accomplished something yourself and a lot of the times i don't necessarily think you like cannot help someone if you don't have a debt story because one of the things that always kind of tripped me up was that i've never had like this financial ruin story of you know i never was able to like control money and i like was in hundreds of thousand of dollars of debt so some of that for me was well then you know sometimes people like that dramatic like from the depths of you know despair and up like kind of scenario. And I didn't really have that. I mean, I had debt, but it was manageable. And so I feel like, yes, sharing that story is helpful because people want to understand that you at least can be empathetic. But I do believe you can be empathetic without actually having to have gone through that situation. I think for overall, the genesis is that a lot of people, when they come to you, they might be a couple steps behind um, than where you were, and I'm specifically speaking to those who don't have like a CFP or who decide that they have such an affinity for coaching and such an empathy to help people. Where they do wanna they they do wanna understand more and develop some skills to do that. And so I don't think you need to know everything to be able to do that. I do think you have to put them first and be honest about what you don't know. And if there's a way for you to advance yourself, so I took this online program called the CFBI to kind of help you. It teaches you like the best methods to to, to coach and what, what works, what doesn't. And now does that solve everything? Does that make me like hundred percent qualified now to, to like take on every problem? No, but it shows my ability to want to learn. Um, and so I think if you lead with that first and are also very honest and upfront about leading or talking to your clients, that it is okay to, to do this, if it's part of what you feel called to do.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking, Justin, about your website. And when you describe your coaching services, you talk about the dichotomy of people in this space tend to either talk about debt or frugality, and you probably fall more towards frugality. Do do people come to you for coaching about debt? And is that something that you enjoy or excel at?
2: Uh, honestly, I have not had hardly any clients that were deep in debt or at least that needed help with it. I mean, I'm I'm sure some had student loans, that sort of thing. But uh, in general, my my niche is really more of the people that are on the path to financial independence already and just need to make sure either either they're a year away from it and they need a double check on everything to make sure that they're on the right path and they're not missing something. Uh, or they're just starting out or halfway through it, and they're really looking for guidance, suggestions, motivation on the path to early retirement and financial independence. And so so debt is really, uh, I, guess, I, I guess I kind of, uh, you know, selection bias. People that are coming to me are, are sort of past that first stage of debt reduction, debt payoff, and they have moved on to the financial independence journey.
1: When I hear this, TPP, I think a lot about you. And the reason why is it seems to me that part of starting your journey was to actually go out and get the educational experience or get the letters behind your name. But what I'm hearing from the other panelists is actually people tend to find them because of their sweet spot. In other words, people read what they write or hear what they produce and then find them from what, for what they're good at already. Tell me some of your thought process of why you kind of felt like you needed to go take a test or, or needed those letters.
3: Yeah, I think that part of it was, I mean, I come from a background where letters behind your name matter, um, you know, and so that, that certainly was part of it. Uh, the other part was that, you know, I'm young and uh, in person look even younger. And so oftentimes when I would approach people to have conversations with, you know, my residents or medical students that I was working with, uh, people look at me and say, well, you're quite young to be talking about these things. How can you possibly know something? So it was a way to basically prove through, you know, state and federal regulations that I'd be qualified to give it, even if I already felt like that was the case prior to uh, registering for the exam. And, you know, it's actually been an interesting journey because uh, I I think that I'm, you know, I've gone towards more what, you know, Whitney and Justin and Jamila are saying. uh, And I actually unregistered for the exam uh, a week or two ago. And, uh, and and that's the reason why is because people do come with, uh, with experience, you know, provide a lot. And what I like to teach on my website is something called the Pareto principle, which is the idea that you can, you know, get 80% of the benefit from what you're trying to do with 20% of the work. And so while I might not know everything, I certainly know enough to help others uh, in their journey. And, and like Jamila has said, you know, walk the walk and paying off, you know, $150,000 in the last 15 months. So, you know, that's, been challenging and painful and required a lot of discipline but I agree the experience goes a long long way and I think that I'm kind of a a convert.
1: Jamila I saw you going to respond to that.
3: Yeah I was gonna say
4: for like a hot minute I also actually considered to get my designation also as to help with my imposter syndrome because (laughs) I had it I still have it to be honest Um, and so and not just with coaching just with everything which I think is a normal human thing and I rather when people are up, up front about like they have those feelings because yeah so I did think for a second like wow like maybe I do need to validate myself more and this would make me more appealing and like it would it would mean something to everyone else if I got this and I quickly realized that I didn't want to continue to (laughs) to have to um to go that route that wasn't what I enjoyed doing and I actually like I have my master's in real estate I have like things I actually don't talk about in my content that if I did put it behind my name, like it would help. But I actually don't want to rest on just that because I actually think that the real transformation, the real change, the real impact, yes, it's going to be that, that technical stuff. But for me, it's never, it's never been that. So whenever I've spoken to someone about like how I can help them the end result or the feedback I always get is just um, the kind of the soft skills is what Justin mentioned is that it's like the habits, the mindset, you know, simple things like budgeting, which is not simple for a lot of people where, you know, you don't need, you know, the the fancy letters to be able to help people do that.
1: Whitney, I want to take it to you because I see you doing a lot of shaking your head in agreement. Was imposter syndrome something that you faced a lot of in the beginning? And how did you get over that?
0: I would be lying if I said it was something I only faced in the beginning. This is something that comes back to us time and time again, right? Every time you accomplish more in your business or in your life, you just level up and now it's a different kind of imposter syndrome. Now the room's full of different people and you feel like, once again, I don't belong here. Who am I? And so it's not just one time thing and you get over it once and it goes away. So no, it's definitely something. And I echo what everyone's saying. I too felt the same way. I thought for sure, oh, I have to have a CFP because that's the only way people are going to take me seriously. I look ridiculously young. I understand that. So that's already working against me too. But the letters were just for me. At the end of the day, I didn't need those letters to help people create a budget and stick with their plan. People, people hire me for accountability, not necessarily for all the education. It's I need somebody to hold my hand make sure I'm doing the work. And for me, that was such a, a very uh, pivotal moment in my business when I started to realize that. And then the other piece too is Joseph Campbell has a great uh, parallel of the hero's journey, right? So our coaching clients, they're all the hero of the story. They want to be the person that comes out ahead. And there's lots of different people that guide you through that. There's the guide, there's the expert, there's the teacher. And so you have to decide who are you and as Jamila mentioned, she's definitely the teacher. It's, hey, come with me, let's do this together and we can figure this out. So I think it's important to know you don't have to be the expert. If you're teaching from a place of, let me help you, I'm doing this as well. It's a very different approach and those letters may not mean as much.
5: So that's an interesting transition because I have a coaching business myself and specifically in real estate and I have a I have an answer, my own answer to this question, but I'm curious in y'all's businesses, How much of your coaching is about the mechanical techniques of money management versus the mindset and psychology of money?
2: Um, I would say about half and half uh, for my clients. Uh, And some clients are really focused on, hey, I need motivation. I need to get get in the right mindset and and figure out how to do this thing. Like, how do you do this? How do you buckle down for 10 years and work and save and invest? And then the other half, it's more uh, of technical questions. Uh, on, you know, procedurally, okay, how do you set up accounts? How do you transfer stuff? Do you do automatic withdrawals, deposits? How do you set things up? Uh, and, and, you know, there are some clients that have told me, you know, when I talk to you, it feels like I'm, I'm going to a, to a psychologist, a counselor, um, you're helping me just stay in the zone and stay motivated and keep working on this. And, hey, is it okay if I do another session in three months to make sure I'm still, you know, on the, on the same path? and and for me that's kind of a moment where i step back and say oh wow so i'm providing it's not just my knowledge you know it, it is that more personal coaching where um, i'm helping them attain a big goal and helping with that that psychological component of it of of doing the right thing that makes sense that i can see as an external party but for them it's a lot more difficult to realize uh, what the right steps are to take and then, and then how to execute that and how to feel about it and that it's okay to have some, some doubts about it. But at the same time, as long as you're making those right choices for the long term, uh, it's most likely going to pay off.
5: Whitney, I, I saw you raise your hand.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to this specific topic, is it, is it the technicalities or is it behavior and, and change from that approach? I like to do what I call the Trojan horse approach. Basically, people hire me because they think they need the technical stuff. I need the secrets to creating a budget. I need the one little thing about paying off debt more quickly. And that's what I give them. But what I'm actually truly giving them, so that's all a disguise for behavior change. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you use a budget in Google Sheets or an app or on paper and pencil. It comes down to, can you create those habits and that mindset that forces you to stick to your plan later? So for me, it's most people will hire for that technical stuff, but really what they need is that behavior change. And I think that the way you structure your coaching program matters a lot and how you create that behavior change long-term.
4: Yeah, I want to echo all these comments from um, Justin and Whitney, because actually, I was reading an article, and it really hit home. It was talking about the financial, like the threads or the themes that you'll see in financial coaching a lot. And the one thing that really stood out was that like similar people really just want like perspective and to feel comfortable about their position, because a lot of people actually, in the relative scheme of their life and their goals don't know where they fall. And so the person this article related it to like being in traffic. And like, if you didn't have like a GPS system, I had no way of knowing like how long it would take you to get home, like that adds stress because you just see like red lights in front of you. You have no idea. But with the GPS system, you know, now they have like where they can like kind of um, calculate how much time it will take you. Like even if you're in traffic, but it looks like it'll only take you an hour because the GPS system is telling you that you're still in traffic. But at least you feel a little bit more comfortable now because you were like, all right, at least I know a little bit about, about the time I'll get home. So I realize, and I feel like with coaching, it's similar to that where you are providing them, you're like their GPS system, you're, you're helping them see the bigger picture because a lot of my clients, they kind of mean, they they just don't, they think things are more bad than they are, or maybe they think they're more good than they are. They just, they just want an understanding of where they are and someone else. I mean, a lot of times they even know this already. They just need someone else to tell them that, you know, it's going to be okay.
3: So yeah, I think it's interesting because uh, with the people that I talk with, it's, it is about perspective, but in a different way. It's, it's almost more like the matrix where they have never thought about these things in the way that we do. Uh, and these ideas have never been presented to them, whether they were in college or training after that. And so this entire world is just brand new to them. And that when you start introducing these concepts and these new perspectives, uh, you can really see the gears start turning and the light turn on. And, um, all of a sudden this makes sense. And there's a different way forward that doesn't involve, you know, spending your way paycheck to paycheck, despite earning lots of money, um, and that you can make wise choices and get there quickly. Um, but I, I completely agree, Jamila, that it's all about perspective.
1: You know what? I love our meals from factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right, we've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later... That's dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial.
5: So I use that uh, analogy quite a bit in my own business is using the matrix. So to the physician philosopher, are you Neo or are you Morpheus?
3: I don't know. I couldn't be, uh, couldn't be Neo because uh, he's a hero of the story.
5: Yeah. So you have to be the guide somehow. So we're, we're, I guess we're yeah. playing Morpheus, right? Exactly.
3: Yeah, I I think that, you know, that's, I can just echo that, you know, the comments have been made earlier that um, I'm not an expert in in the sense of knowing 100% of everything that's out there. And um, I never have claimed to be but what I have done is, you know, put these tools to work and shown that they are, um, you know, successful when you implement them and, and just gone back and basically showed people where the the pitfalls are and the the rocks they're about to trip over and help them avoid them, unlike I did, or unlike my my friends and colleagues did. Uh, So I, I absolutely think it's more of a guide.
1: You know, I wanted to come back to you, TPP, because I think there's this duality, right? Especially in your sweet spot, because your sweet spot is advising medical students and residents and early attendings. These are people with huge amounts of debt, um, but also a lot of student loans, and they're really working on organizing their life. And so the duality is this. Most of the people that they're approached by are financial advisors, but really don't understand what it is to be a physician, so I understand with a lot of us, there is the sense of imposter syndrome, but what's more important in the work you're talking about doing? Is it the understanding the physician perspective, or is it the actual advising that you learn by taking classes and getting degrees?
3: I think most, much more of it has to do with the physician perspective um, and teaching behavioral finance um, than it does with the technical stuff. Um, I mean, this is basic personal finance, one-on-one stuff. I mean, I'm just having conversations about what, what interest is and what capitalization means, you know, and, and I mean, basic, basic things. And these people have lots of debt. I mean, the average medical student comes out with $200,000 now and 80% of students come out with debt. So those numbers are astronomical and you get to sign up for residency for three to five years and it gets to compound. You can't pay it off. You're forced into a system where you cannot pay off your debt for five years. Uh, and so that, is so much more about behavioral finance and understanding the perspective of physicians and also getting inside the mind of them uh, so that you can see because most doctors have spending problem. it's not it's not an earning problem it is a spending problem and Until they're shown that, they don't know anything different uh, and they're more inclined to inflate their lifestyle to a point that they can't make wise financial decisions after that, they've bought a life that they can't afford. So I I definitely think it's more about the, um, getting inside the mind of the person you're working with.
1: What I'm really gleaning somewhat from this conversation is that to be effective, you need to find the people who need help in your sweet spot. And so TPP, I see you doing that by creating content by writing a blog, by talking about, you know, residents and attendings and their debt problems. I wanted to swing this over to Whitney a little bit. Who comes to you for coaching and how did you find your sweet spot?
0: Well, I think it's no surprise that the people that tend to come to me for coaching are people that are like me. So like attracts like. So for that reason, the content that I put out there speaks to a very specific demographic of people. It's either women that are single or acting as if they're single in a relationship. Maybe they're carrying the whole financial burden on their own. They're the ones responsible for managing the books and it's stressful for them. Or it's people that are experiencing a lot of debt and need some help with that. And so I think that when we first start coaching, that does evolve. Now that's not the only people I help, but that's initially who was uh, attracted to my brand and and working with me was people that look very similar to me.
1: I like how you said that working with women who are acting as if they were single. Tell me you must end up feeling pressure even to give a lot of advice about relationships. How much does this play a role in your financial advising?
0: Oh, it's huge. It is huge, Doc G. It is one of those things where I didn't realize that you almost have to. In fact, the letters behind my name would be better if I was a therapist at this point, <laughs> truly. <laughs> so the finance stuff is all great, but a therapist is kind of what you have to be a little bit. You have to listen, you have to try to get their partner on the same page as well. And of course, you can't force that, but you can definitely encourage them to be part of the conversation. You know, bring your significant other in have them sit down, go over the budget with you, talk about your financial goals together. And even sometimes getting to that point, we think it's easy, but it's really difficult for people. So even that alone can be a big struggle.
1: So, so Justin, I suspect your sweet spot is a little bit different than Whitney's. Um, tell me, do people come and end up asking you off the wall things about life and advice on stuff that, you, that, that isn't your sweet spot, stuff that, that you don't feel like you have some ownership of?
2: Yeah, I really run the gamut in terms of uh, different topics of discussion just because it is, it's financial independence, early retirement is the niche, but it's, there's a, total, a huge wide range of questions. Um, I've, I've answered one guy had a really big electricity bill, and we ended up talking through that, and it, it may have just been his air conditioner was poorly maintained. I mean, I have a, a background in engineering, so I kind of knew how things work and probably ended up saving him a lot of money because he got his air conditioner serviced and I've talked to people that have relationship questions in terms of how to get their spouse on board with early retirement or, you know, they're halfway there, but their spouse is not really a hundred percent committed yet. How do they, how do they work through those issues? Or, or how do they, how do they, how do they deal with his and hers finance when it's, when it's um, separate finances, but they want to retire earlier than, than their spouse might want to, or their spouse wants to work forever. So some of that is just working through, working through the issues. And a lot of it is just, proposing questions and letting them answer more or less how how they feel about it and then getting them to think through it, think through the process and and how they want to present it to their significant other. I've had questions about selling the house, moving, North Carolina, where I live, uh, weather, overseas, living abroad, uh, you know, things that I've thought about but not necessarily have done personally before. But it's more or less a sounding board for whatever kind of questions that might come up.
1: In my blog, I've used the term spousal buy-in, and so when we talk about financial independence, we talk about spousal buy-in. Actually, getting getting them to understand what financial independence is, why it's important, and how we can get there. But I think when it comes to getting your finances in order, people struggle with getting their spouse on the same page. Uh, I wanted to throw this over to Jamila. Is are, are you having lots of conversations with couples?
4: As it's interesting enough, when I have people, it's usually just them, like the woman usually is the one that contacts me or will work together. And, you know, they have a partner that And I'm specifically about just like one uh, couple that I'm working with. Well, I'm not working directly with him, but she'll say, you know, my husband, like he's open to like hearing my suggestions. He can't, he just can't make the call. And um, we're ending like the near the the end of our sessions now. And at first, her husband like had no really interest. Like he would be happy to listen to her, but he really had no interest in any of it. But I think as as she gained confidence and started doing more things like to show him like she knew she was doing she was getting the information like he became impressed he was like oh wow maybe you know you do know like what's like I'm impressed by all the stuff you're like doing now with our finances and now he's he's more open to it like now he he wants to listen to a couple podcasts and blogs so I think um yeah I think it's interesting that sometimes I feel like you don't always get the partner right like in the conversation directly but that Whatever habits or good things that that you you're the, that you're being um, you're translating to the main person sometimes does um, go to then this the person the other person.
5: That's so interesting because I I wonder what's going through the mind of some of the folks who are listening to this and if any of them are considering being a financial coach. If you are a any sort of influencer out there or really even just in your community, you find people most people don't know a lot about money. What should people be thinking about if they are considering being some sort of financial coach, where they're actually getting paid? I think that's the big distinction. Is you can help somebody, but once you get paid, there's some obligation there that you should have be worth what you're getting paid at least.
0: I have so many thoughts on this, and I think it's really important and easy to immediately dive into. How do I monetize? You know, I I got to get a return on my time, and I think that's where we always start. But I would actually encourage you not to start there. I would actually encourage you to take a step back and talk with people first and foremost get to understand what are their true pain points what are they actually struggling with i think once you truly understand that then you can start to assess am i the right person for this can i actually do this i'm not gonna lie this is a very heavy industry there are times where i get done with coaching calls and i'm in tears because it's so heartbreaking to hear people's stories sometimes and so i think it's important to really understand that piece first And then if you do think this is somewhere you can contribute and you can be of help, then reach out to some of those people. Work for free for a short, short period of time. See how it feels. Do you actually enjoy coaching? Is it fun for you? Can you bring value? Is this something you could see yourself doing longer term? So I would do all of that before trying to monetize and scale a business and try to figure out how to market myself. I would start with that very, very simple step first of just talking with people and understanding a little bit more about their pain points.
1: Physician philosopher. So you've now heard these three people who have been acting as financial coaches or money coaches. Is this feel or sound like something you could do?
3: Absolutely. I think that um, we've already discussed the merits of it. I think that the, the help is needed and that, that as Winnie was saying that, or uh, excuse me, Paul was saying that not, not a lot of people know much about money. Absolutely, I, th- I think that I'm glad that Whitney said what she said. Uh, you know, I certainly don't get paid for most of the advice that I give uh, in my my main job uh, in academia. But I certainly have a lot of opportunity there to have those conversations and to meet with those people and to form relationships without monetizing. I think for for me, it's a it's a conflict of interest question. You know, I, I don't I don't think that I could do that. You know, where I am um, for people that I work with daily, I should say. Um, But outside of that, I I mean, the, the need is massive. So I think that this is only gonna get bigger and bigger.
4: Yeah, I was going to add, I mean, I love what Whitney said about like making sure that your heart's in it first and that it's, you're really looking for impact and to make sure you like doing it because it is definitely something where, you know, it's it's like taxing, especially if you, you, you may be not getting through to clients. So I think also what should be said is that like not everybody makes that transformation that you want them to make. You know, like there's sometimes I'm working with someone and it's like I see the light at the end of the tunnel for them. I know exactly what they could do. You know, and it's just like they're not ready to like make such a big leap They're making small changes, but just like if you have a friend that's like you know not doing the right thing and you're just like, oh, I see what you can do differently so that can be actually if you're a person who's very empathetic, that could be hard um so it's not ne- it's definitely not for everyone but I think the fact that if you care is like a great first step, but I also do want to talk about like just also um when you do build up that courage and that skill set to to the part of like charging for what you're worth. And, you know, that's gonna be different for everyone. Um, that's gonna be different depending on your confidence in asking, you know, to get paid for your time. But I also feel like um, maybe in just speaking for myself, I know in the beginning, you know, did like for really like low, like a fraction of what it is now, like to work with me. And um, even now, it's just more of I probably still don't, for the amount of work it takes don't feel like I charge enough, but it's that pull of, Oh, but I want to make sure that it's quote unquote affordable. You know, like I think so. I, there's always a um, question for me about, okay, monetizing because, you know, getting paid and valuing my time and the transformation I can make. And then also not feeling as if I am, you know, not after it just for the money I want to see the change. So sometimes you have to make sure that you're walking that line really well is that you're valuing them, but you're valuing yourself too, as the person. Giving up your time and energy to help.
2: Yeah, just to continue with what Javila is saying. Uh, I'm, so I'm early retired from a career in engineering, but uh, people kept asking me after I started the blog, "Hey, can you help me out and and consult with me on on uh, my financial independence journey?" And so I started out doing that. After a couple of years um, of just blogging, I became uh, started consulting with people, and I, I sort of approached it in terms of I don't want to ever get too busy where I'm, I'm where I'm becoming a full time consultant helping people out. Um, so I did have to actually raise my rates over the past two years uh, to almost triple what I started out charging just to sort of constrict the flow of new clients because I only want to have a, a few clients per month at a maximum. Um, and and so, so I did struggle. I still do struggle with, wow, I'm charging these people a, a lot of money, in my opinion, uh, per hour. To help them out, but it's really, it, you know, it's for me, it's a challenge. Otherwise, I'm if I'm working 20 or 30 hours a week helping other people, that's just become another almost full time job for me. Uh, so, I really had to balance those interests of helping other people out with not giving away all of my time for free, if that makes sense. It, it, you know, for me, I, I always feel like at the end of a session, a lot of times the clients will tell me, Wow, I got a whole lot out of this, you know, and then they'll email me back later, a week or two later, and say, I saved five thousand dollars on my taxes because I went back and talked to my uh, tax person from last year, and they messed something up. And so, those are the kind of
3: comments that, when I hear that, I'm like, okay, well, I guess I guess I am being fair with with my rates. Uh, yes, yeah, I had a question actually, being the you know non financial coach here. Um, so, you know, with the uh, with the industry, financial industry, you know, when you're talking about financial advising, oftentimes one of the big complaints, at least in the uh, blogosphere where I live. It is about how they, how they run their fee structures. You know, whether it's assets under management model or they get paid by commission products and where exactly their conflicts of interest are for their industry. And based on that, oftentimes I can or can't recommend somebody. So I'm kind of curious for financial coaches, like, is it a quarterly rate? Is it a hourly rate? Like, how, how exactly do most financial coaches get paid and where are your conflicts of interest?
1: Yeah, Whitney, I was hoping you could answer this one because I was going to ask you how you decided on your rates.
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So because I am approaching people that are in debt, it was this really internal struggle of how much can you truly charge somebody when sometimes that money is better spent on their debt instead of hiring a coach. That's a very real thing for a lot of people. And so I think the, the thing to keep in mind is if you truly believe that you can bring value tenfold to that client, if working with you is going to bring a drastic amount of value, then you should charge what you're worth for sure. When I first started off, I had some serious confidence issues and I was charging $300 for three months of coaching. I was like, all right, I'll just charge 300, a hundred bucks a month. That that's reasonable. People can afford that. If they don't eat out quite as much, they'll be there. No problem. And since I have increased my rates and I did find that $500 for three months of coaching was a pretty good price point. I was getting a lot more clients. I raised my rates up to 600 and now I'm getting ready to raise them up again to a thousand. And it's one of those things where kind of, as Justin was saying, you get a lot of demand and then the question becomes, who can you refer those people to? So I can't work for $300 and work with hundreds and hundreds of people. I probably could, but not on my own. But there's lots of great coaches out there, too, that I could refer people to. So for for me at this stage in the game, that's kind of how I approach that. But I think the, the sticking point with the finances is, can they truly afford it without sabotaging their own financial life? And if they can, coaching's great. If they can't, refer them to somebody else or a nonprofit that can help.
1: Jamila, how long were you doing this from the the day you made your first dollar coaching to the day you decided to increase your rates? How long was that?
4: Oh, it probably was probably a year from like I raised my rates. And I I do want to say this, too, because, you know, my primary income or business is not like I don't intend it to be coaching. So for me, I think what we could talk about too, which is, is important is like, if you're in the financial space, whether you're a blogger or a podcaster and you do have an affinity for money and you want to help people and people are reaching out. So is this something you want to do full time? Like what, what do you see? What's your vision as your career in this space? And so sometimes working directly one-on-one is like a great way just to build up like what really is like the touch point and what are people struggling with? So you now have a better understanding with whatever content you deliver. So whether that's the blogging or podcast, is important. So it took me a year, but it's not like I'm not like a person that like brings in I don't even really announce uh, my coaching services. I I, like I say it here and there, but I I don't like necessarily uh, funnel or promote to it and people still find it because I don't want it to necessarily be a main part of my business. I like it because it does help me really understand like who my my person is like who my journeyer is that like needs to help so then it helps me deliver more content widely to help more people um which most of my content is free so i feel like that's like a major point is to really figure out okay like do you want this to be like a main source of income do you want this to be your main thing like because then i'd probably be more aggressively going after more clients in terms of uh talking about it more promoting it more um thinking about maybe the price points a bit more so now when i'm raised to the point similarly to where i don't want to work with like too many people per month um it's only a select few where i really believe that i can help and change and the last thing i'm going to say is that for me getting comfortable with charging was the whole idea of there's the transformation and the transaction And I used to think before, like, oh, like, you know, no one's going to like really pay you because they're going to say they have no money. But then I realized when you give a lot of content for free, a lot of people don't necessarily take that as serious because there's no skin in the game. And when they're paying, like, I just paid a lot of money to be in this like coaching program or this course. And because I paid that much money, like I am all in versus if it was free, I would like not pay it much attention. So it's important to think about that aspect, too.
1: I'm going to make a statement and then Paul's going to take it away to bring bring the bring the conversation full circle. But I just wanted to comment when you were talking about your clients, you used the term journeyer. And I think one thing I've definitely learned from talking to everyone here is it's, it is a journey. And it's a journey that you take together with your clients. And I think that has a huge amount of value. Uh, So I have to give you guys a lot of credit. When I thought we were coming to this conversation, I really thought we'd be talking more about money per se but i think it's like everything else in financial independence what we're actually talking about is connecting with people and using your know-how to help them so i have to give you guys a lot of credit for that
5: yeah it's a good conclusion to this question that we started with is money is being a money enthusiast enough to be paid to help other people's to other to allow other people to journey to financial independence, and and Jamila even uses the that as her as her avatar, the the her, her journeyist, her people are along the journey. Do, do any of you guys have kind of a an idea of what you call the 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 journey or the your your avatar?
0: So everybody in my audience is called a money nerd, and that is something that I think we we can all kind of relate to. We're all a little bit closet money nerds sometimes, maybe not so closet. But that's what I call everybody in my audience. They're all money nerds. We're just trying to figure it out together.
5: And do you feel like it is appropriate to say that being a money nerd, a money enthusiast is is justification enough to help somebody else along the journey and get paid for it?
0: I don't actually. I I, I truly don't. I think that being enthusiastic is amazing and I encourage everybody to share a little bit more about their journey. But that's like saying everybody's destined to be a teacher and I don't think that's the case. So I think it takes a lot of self-awareness to see if you are truly meant to help people. Or if that's a struggle for you, or if putting your own biases in front of everybody else's life problems is something that you do, I, I think that's probably not the right place. So that's why I do encourage people to work with individuals one-on-one first before charging and going all in on a business to make sure it's actually something that's in line with who you are.
5: I think it's a great piece of advice. Justin, you have any thoughts on that?
2: I would say you have to know the material too. I mean, you can't you can't just be enthusiastic and happy to share your information if you don't really know the background information. Um, and that's, that's something that I, I try to stick with my stick in my own wheelhouse with things that I know. So a potential client reaches out to me and says, let's talk about this. And I read it and I say, you know, I, I don't know anything about uh, international taxation and coordination of tax treaties between these two countries, uh, the US and somewhere else I've never heard of. And, and I'm pretty honest and say, look, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know how to handle this. Um, unfortunately, you're probably going to have to talk to an international tax consultant, and they're very, very expensive, but probably worth the money. And, and so, so I think you know, enthusiasm is great. I think it helps establish rapport with the client, uh, get them motivated, get them going along with things. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, you also do need to be somewhat of a subject matter expert in your in your area that you're providing advice on.
5: Wonderful. So uh, what what's up next in each of y'all's lives and where can we, the listeners find you on the internet uh, or the podcast world?
3: You can find me at thephysicianphilosopher.com. Uh, what I've been working on is continuing to promote uh, you know, three-time weekly posts and I'm in the process of writing a book. Uh, it's already written. It's in um, the revision stage. And so that's kind of an, a big thing that's coming up next uh, on my site. Other than that, I'm just trying to get my message in front of the right target audience and uh, and I think that'll that'll probably be enough but I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the show So thanks for having me you bet it's been a great great time Jamila
4: Sure so you can find me over at journeytolaunch.com. I'm also on social media as journey to launch I love connecting and responding to people so you can hit me up there ask questions I also have a podcast so you can listen to that wherever you listen to this podcast journey to launch and there are so many exciting things in the works none of which I can really say right now, but they'll be coming out soon. So just like follow me, keep in touch and you'll, you'll hear about them soon.
5: I love the teaser. So stay tuned. Whitney Hansen, how about you? Where, where can people find you?
0: The best place to hang out with me is WhitneyHanson.com. That's my online home. So from there, you can get to my podcast, The Money Nerds. It's a twice weekly podcast where I interview really amazing people. A lot of people have been on the show that we're, we're talking with today. So that's kind of cool. You can go listen to their stories. And then one of the things that I'm working on that I'm particularly excited about that's relevant to this conversation is a course that teaches people how to become a profitable financial coach. Very, very difference between being a coach and making money as a coach. So if you are liking the conversation and you appreciate it and you think that maybe you want to take this seriously, I highly encourage you to check out my course, WhitneyHanson.com slash financial coach.
5: Fantastic. Justin, how about you? What's up next for you and where can people find you?
2: what's up next with me? Well, check out rootofgood.com. That's my blog and, and kind of my uh, home on the internet. And uh, I'm also on Twitter and Facebook at rootofgoodblog. So uh, I'm pretty active on there. If you want to check me out on there or on the blog, there's links to and from. And In terms of what I have in the works right now, uh, not a whole lot. So I'm, I'm actually early retired and, and trying to live the the sweet early retired life, and so I'm, I'm, uh, I post about once or twice a month on the blog and, uh, you know, do a, the occasional podcast interview. Um, I've been on Jabila's before, and so uh, I have three kids. that keep me pretty busy right now. That's pretty much it. Not a whole lot going on in terms of productive efforts, but enjoying early retired life.
5: Okay, doc, that was the wrap of that conversation. And I thought it was really interesting. It went a couple of directions that I didn't first expect. I didn't know if we were going to be talking about the mechanics of money coaching and how to actually tell people about budgets and what what to invest in, or if it would be more on the uh, psychological and how to become a better coach. And I think I liked the direction it went, that it went down the path of How does it make sense to be a coach? And then the psychology of money, it tends to be what you end up coaching about more so than the mechanics of money.
1: Yeah, if you recall the beginning of the episode started with us talking to the physician philosopher who got into a little bit of a kerfluffle with another blogger about taking a series, I forget the specific number, but one of the series tests to become a financial advisor. And he got a lot of blowback from other financial advisors in the group about the knowledge and compliance necessary to take that step. What we kind of found out was exactly the opposite, at least with our grouping. What was more important is our participants' experiences. If you listen to Whitney or if you listen to Jamila or Justin, what people sought them out for was their sweet spot, the sweet spot they had been writing about on the internet or podcasting about. People wanted to hear them and get help dealing with things that they had already heard in their content. So it wasn't the letters behind their name, and it wasn't the classes they took, or like you said, the mechanical knowledge. People were looking for A, their experience, and B, their support. And that kind of blew my mind. Because it just wasn't what I expected.
5: Yeah, and I especially liked Whitney's comment about the letters that mattered behind her name were more on the psychology or being a uh, being a therapist. That would have been more helpful than any of the particular finan- you know, CFP or some series test, you know, which I don't know anything about. Um, and, but what what I also found a little bit, and we didn't really touch on this too much, but what I thought was interesting was the blowback that TPP got over trying to get qualified. I didn't never really quite understood why trying to, it's like someone saying, I want to go go get a, a law degree and pass the bar, but they weren't currently in law school or something. I just, I, I didn't really understand the the why that would be a problem. There may be more nuances to that industry that I'm not aware of. But, but that point aside, I it's important to clarify that when, what most of the products and services that people on the call were, are offering were not necessarily managing other people's money. It wasn't actually taking control of their accounts and choosing an asset allocation for them or doing long-term financial planning where they were defining a, a exit date or a retirement date and it had some number in mind with great details on, on rates of return and whatnot. It was more about how to manage your personal finances and the psychology around what it takes to put your money into whatever investment you choose. And then the m- emotional fortitude to not pull it out when there's a crash, that tends to be what I think a lot of the financial coaches are focusing on. And then the subsequent ongoing accountability, that's tends seems to be what a lot of people are offering versus a, it's not a strict um, competition between a financial advisor. If you need or want a financial advisor, y- you go and hire, hire one based on, your criteria. If you want to do a fee based or assets on a manager or find somebody who's a strict fiduciary, you go and do that. But that's over, or can be over and above different than what a financial coach or what, what wouldn't to call it a money coach is. They're, they're, they're kissing cousins, but they are separate services.
1: Yeah, I think there's been a lot of contention out there between the financial independence community and financial advisors. So we have several financial advisors in our community, but there's always that question of a knowledge gap. And so I think when you see financial independence enthusiasts starting to talk about getting the education and taking on the other role, I think it gets a little bit you know, contentious. I think it's hard to be a financial advisor right now, especially in this community where we are all about uh, DIY. We're all about doing it yourself. And so I think it it makes it difficult. But to kind of come full circle, the way you have too is, you know, I think it was an incredibly powerful point Jamila made when she used the term journeyer. She was talking about when your journeyer comes to you with one problem or another and i think that vocabulary is incredibly fitting for what our guests all do or want to do is they want to help be together with the people they coach they want to help them journey through this maze of personal finance uh, and responsibility and they want someone to help them keep them accountable so i i think all four of them uh, were incredibly powerful speak- speakers and i think they each add a skill set that's very necessary for the people who search them out
5: yeah especially someone like justin who didn't initially offer those sort of services people came to him and asked him for if he would do something like that based off of the the platform that he created on his blog and that's very similar to my story and i'm i think that's uh, similar to many, many people's stories, they start sharing what they know freely, and then somebody wants to engage further and spend a lot of time with you on helping them create their own plan and So long as you are not giving specific legal advice or financial advice on specifically how to invest certain things and take their control of their money, then it's appropriate to be a financial coach that's that's my take on it and but just be careful that you you, you draw that line carefully, um, both when you are hiring somebody or if you decide to go into that business yourself.
1: Yeah, and I think the Choose Fi guys are always talking about this too. It's, you know, it used to be the way you built a talent stack is you went to college or graduate school or signed up for all these extra classes and got these extra letters behind your name. And nowadays we know that a lot of building your talent stack is experience. And that's people in this space. That's what they tend to have. They have a lot of experience. And the community as a whole is willing to search them out and pay to hear about their experience and have them use that experience to help them.
5: Absolutely. That's a potential for a a new episode on the relationship of or how important having a college education is. So that's something that that the audience would like. Maybe we can cue that up.
1: Yeah, that might just be what's up next. Just might. That sounds like a fitting ending. So this has been the What's Up Next podcast on behalf of Paul Thompson. This is Doc G. We'd like to thank Whitney, TPP, Jamila and Justin. That's a wrap.
5: So we don't have any other kind of agenda other than just to have a good conversation that people outside in the in, in the in the world in this five space would be would enjoy hearing. All right. All right Doc ready, kick it off when you're ready. Or I guess I guess it's on me, right? No, it's on me. Oh, that's right. right we'll, we'll figure this out sometime. The f- vision, f- TPP.
0: P- <laughs> I feel you. That's been my morning too. <laughs> yeah.
5: yeah. Well, this is our third interview. So we're really learning. So it's going to be a blast.
0: <laughs> You're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. I said the name right, right? You
5: said it right. Uh, you were just have to think about it, which is fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I did too. My brain is so everywhere. <laughs> Not right. surprised.
4: It's a lot of pressure there. so.
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs>
3: yeah, just step up your game.
0: God, Jamila, overachiever. <laughs> Whitney,
3: you're the only one that, that needed to take. Now I'm using the other mic for some reason. It started working again. I can only see half your head, but. uh well, let me fix that. You don't want to miss that. Yeah, Much better. Man, that's professional. Look at you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I bought one just for these opportunities.
5: Yeah. awesome. And this
2: is an opportunity. I'm, I'm glad you see it that way. <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: absolutely. I don't know if you can see, but I've got like an old workshop shirt on. It has a hole in it and I uh, haven't shaved in a few days. Uh, You're good. I, I just jumped it. out of
1: the shower, man. You're good. I was about to say, I step away and the conversation obviously unravels.
2: As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.